we have a hymn which we're going to sing shortly, all being well, that contains the lines in one of its verses There behold his agony, suffered on the bitter tree. Well, at the foot of that bitter tree, there were four women, according to the, that reading we've just read. Can we just look back at verse 25? Now they stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, that's the first woman, and his mother's sister, that's the second woman, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, or probably better pronounced Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Four women. Two of them are named as Mary. A third one we know was Mary because it was the mother of Jesus. So of the four, three of them are named Mary. Is that a coincidence that these women are met at the foot of this bitter tree? Well, if you have a marker, keep it in John. I've actually got two markers, brothers and sisters, in my Bible for today. One's in John chapter 19, the other in Mark chapter 15. And let's turn back to Ruth chapter 1. The book of Ruth in chapter 1. And we're just going to read verse 20. We, we know the background to, to, to this history, don't we? They've just returned from Moab. Naomi and Ruth, her daughter-in-law, they've lost everything, haven't they? So in verse 20, Naomi said unto the people of Bethlehem, Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. And the Hebrew basis of the name that we read in the Greek is Mary, Mara. So we have three Maras at the foot of that bitter tree. So Naomi said to the people of Bethlehem, Call me not Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. And if you have your marginal note like I've got against that word, that name Mara, you see it means bitter. So there was a threefold bitterness at the foot of that bitter tree. And when we read those things, I think we can't but pause to consider that bitterness as we start our thoughts today, can we, brothers and sisters? These four women, the one whom they loved so dearly was dying in the most awful, painful way imaginable. He was finding it almost impossible to breathe as he hung there. The blood from his earlier beatings and scourging was still dripping. More than this, in him had all their hopes been centred to restore the kingdom to Israel, to throw, up, throw off the, the Roman domination, to establish righteousness and peace, to bring God's kingdom, to exalt the oppressed, to defeat the enemy. All that had finished now and gone as a vapour. How could that have happened? What were they to do now? There was nothing left. 
They'd followed, as Brother Will said in his prayer, they'd followed all the way through the ministry. Right the way till now. But now, in their view, it was the bitter end. Loved of God in sorrow mourning. But there were four of them, and only three of them are named Mary. And I'm going to suggest to you that four can't have been named Mary because she was Mary's sister. And to have two sisters named the same would be most confusing. But four in, in scripture, it gives us all sides. We think of the four square encampment of, of Israel. We think of the, the, the faces of the cherubim. And they are looking at each side. It's seeing something from every side. The four Gospels give us the four sides of the, the, the history and, and the doctrine of, of the Massa, of Messiah. And so you see a complete picture in, in four. You see it from every angle. And by combining these four, these four women we perhaps can see the perfect women, woman from different aspects. That, that bride of Christ, as faithful women in the scripture bring before us. That one having, not having spot or wrinkle or ancient thing, as spoken of in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27. And if we're thinking of that chapter, here they are at the very time when Christ was giving himself for her. I'm sure we can see that in the room, but we haven't time to deal with that today. That's for another day, perhaps. Today, we're going to contend ourselves with considering these women, tracing their path to this point and considering their, um, what happened to them afterwards where we can. So we said there were four. Who was the fourth if she wasn't another Mary? Well, if we can turn back to my other marked reference, which is Mark chapter 15. And um, again, we just want to read um, a couple of verses. Mark chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 40 and 41. Because I think by comparing the records, by comparing the four records, each of the Gospels has its own specific detail and doctrine to teach us, but by comparing the four, we get the complete picture. So we're now comparing Mark's record with John's record, and in Mark it says, there were also women looking on afar off. So this is slightly before the time that we're reading of in, in John 19.25, among whom was Mary, the mother, Mary Magdalene, and Mary the mother of James the Less and of Joseph, and Salome. So we've got two Marys here. The mother of Jesus isn't particularly mentioned in this verse, but a, th a third one or a fourth woman is called Salome. And it carries on in verse 41, who also when he was in Galilee followed him and ministered unto him and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. Now, th there obviously were other women here, but I'm suggesting that these three women here are specifically highlighted by name because they're going to be mentioned elsewhere in the record. And so I'm, I'm suggesting to you that two of these Marys, 
are the Marys that we read of in John chapter 19, and that the fourth woman, the one called his mother's sister, is Salome. Now, Salome, just as Mary is based on the Hebrew Mara, Salome is of Hebrew origin too. And it's a Hebrew word that we know really well. It's the Hebrew word Shalom. Now, Shalom is as far from Mara as you could get. You see, Shalom speaks of peace. It speaks of welfare. It speaks of prosperity. And so though there was a, a threefold bitterness centered at the foot of that bitter tree, there was also a vision of grief turned to joy in the name of Salome. There was also a fifth person present, as we read of in verse 26 in John 19. It wasn't a fifth woman, it was a, it was a man, wasn't it? And so in John chapter 19 and verse 26, it says, When Jesus therefore knew, saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he said then to his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her into his own hand. And we know that the disciple whom Jesus loved was John. And the name John, you know, like Salome and Mary, is based on a Hebrew original, isn't it? The Hebrew means the grace or the mercy of Yah. And so we put the names of these together, we get a, a, a threefold bitterness turned to joy and prosperity through the grace of the Almighty. So I think we've probably named the four women, but who were they? Two of them we know pretty well. We know Mary, the mother of Jesus, pretty well. And we're fairly familiar with Mary Magdalene. But who is Salome, for example, the fourth amongst them, as I've suggested to you, Mary's sister. So we picked up Salome from um, Mark chapter 15 and verse 40. But um, can we go back to the parallel record in Matthew now, please? That's Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to read verse 56. So we have some people mentioned here, and this is looking from another angle at the same events. Verse 56, well, verse 55, many women were there beholding afar off. This is the same as Mark 15, isn't it? Which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him, among which was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. There are the two Marys that we've got in, um, in Mark 15 and the mother of Zebedee's children. So the third woman, and I'm suggesting that because this is the parallel account, this is Salome, she was the mother of Zebedee's children. She was the mother of James and John, two of the disciples. Now, if that's the case, and she's also the sister of Mary, the mother of Jesus, that means that John 
was Mary's nephew. He was Jesus' cousin. And that makes quite a lot of sense, doesn't it, when we read in, in John 19, verses 26 and 27, that, that Jesus gives the care of his mother into the responsibility of John, who was her nephew, if what we're saying is correct. So I'm suggesting that Salome was the sister of Mary, the mother of James and John, and into Mary's nephew's care, Jesus commended his mother just before he expired. So who was the other Mary then? Mary, the wife of Cleophas, or Clopas, as it would be better pronounced. Um, it, it's not quite as straightforward as picking up on Salome. We need a bit of digging, but um, I think we can find out. You see, in the other two records, she's called Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, or Mary, the mother of James, the less. We need to pay careful attention to detail. You see, the name Cleopas, or as I say, Clopas in John 1925, is very much different in its original derivation from the Greek name that we find in Luke 24 of the two on the road to Emmaus, Cleopas. They're very different words in the Greek, despite a similar spelling in the English. If you look at Strong's Concordance, or if you look at Thayer's lexicon, for example, the name Cleophas that we have in John 19 is associated with the name Alpheus in its derivation and its equivalent. It's just a different pronunciation of the Hebrew equivalent or the Hebrew original. It, it may seem strange to us that a name Cleophas is identified with Alpheus, but um, just check it up in, in Strong's and Thayer's and they will confirm that these two names are, are bound together by the, the Hebrew original just being um, pronounced in a different way. So this makes Mary the wife of Cleopas, Cleopas the, the wife of Alphaeus, and therefore the mother of a disciple who was called James, the son of Alphaeus. And we find that in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 3, for example, James, the son of Alphaeus, is one of the twelve. So that identifies her with the woman that's brought before us in Mark 15, verse 40, where she's called Mary, the mother of James the Less and of Joseph. James the Less, it would seem, is identifying this James and distinguishing him from James the brother of John. Perhaps this, this James was, was shorter in stature. But there was a distinguishing feature that they had to distinguish between the two James who were, were of the twelve, wasn't there? And say so she was the mother of James the Less, because Salome, who was with her there, was, if we can take the other side of that coin, the mother of James the Greater, or the Taller, or, or whatever the, the opposite of Less is in that um, situation. So she was the mother of one of the twelve, and she had another son called Joseph. Now, by coincidence, 
Mary, the mother of Jesus, had two sons called James and Joseph. She also had Simon and, and, and Judah. Um, but we have to accept that that was just a coincidence because the, the, this Mary cannot be the same Mary. Otherwise, she'd have been identified with Jesus, surely, rather than James and Joseph. So, I think we've identified who those four women were. There was the mother of Jesus, her sister Salome, the mother of James and John, Mary Magdalene, who was, um, as we shall see, um, probably a leader of the, the, the ministers to Jesus, and Mary, the, the wife of Cleopas, Clopas or Alpheus, the mother of James, one of the twelve. So of this Mary, the wife of Cleophas, little is known. We don't read of her very often in the scriptures. Mark chapter 15 and verse 41, though, tells us that they were with him in Galilee and followed him and ministered unto him. And that brings us to this group of faithful women who were Jesus' companions and ministers in his ministry. Can we go to Luke and chapter 8, please? Luke chapter 8. And we're going to read the first three verses. And it came to bad afterward that... Jesus went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him of their substance. So here we have um, a, a group of women. And, and although our Mary isn't mentioned by name in, in Luke chapter 8, we can see that she was one of that group from the record that we read elsewhere. Here is a group of organised and dedicated sisters who helped with the preaching or with the practical organisation of Jesus' ministry. They were women who had substance that they could minister to him of their substance. And they bore the cost of the help that they gave, is what that indicates. So they had some substance of which to give. But they were also prepared to do the menial tasks, because that's what the word ministered in verse 3 there means. So these were women of some substance who used that substance and were prepared to undertake the menial tasks of the organisation, administration, I suggest to you, of the ministry of Jesus. Jesus' ministry wasn't just a, a, an unorganized, a disorganized wandering, it was an organized campaign. And these women were the organizers. And it would be quite fitting, wasn't it, that one of them, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, was the mother of one of the twelve because the twelve were with him. And so these things all stand up to fit together. We can get a picture of, of how the, the, the things work, how the organisation worked in the ministry 
of Jesus. Sisters, those are the sisters that we need today. Those who are prepared to help with the organization, work in the background, those faithful, dedicated and organized people. We need you today, sisters. And each of these women in some way was a type of that bride of Christ, wasn't she? Because that's what faithful women are seen as throughout the scripture from the beginning to the end. So Mary, the mother of James, the less, the wife of Cleopatras or Alphaeus, had followed from Galilee. She'd been part of this organization, setting up and running the, the ministry of the Lord. And she was there amongst that group in Mark chapter 15, verse 41, 40 and 41, who witnessed these things from afar off. She'd come all the way from Galilee, throughout all that ministry. She'd come to Jerusalem. She'd come to Calvary. And she was there in, in Mark chapter 15, witnessing afar off. Then in John chapter 19, and verse 25, she was still there at the foot of that bitter tree when there were just four of them now. And if you come back to um, Mark chapter 15, in verse 46, it says, this is Mark 15, 46, And he, Joseph of Arimathea, bought fine linen and took Jesus down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulchre which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone unto the door of the sepulchre. And Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph beheld where he was laid. So now there's only two. They'd been part of that organised group. They'd been part of that large group of witnessed afar off. They'd been part of that four who stood at the foot of that bitter tree. And now there was just two who beheld the sepulchre. They were there to the very end. Their dedication to their master was such that they couldn't leave until they'd seen the very end. They'd seen where he was laid because they had a plan, didn't they? And when we look in Mark chapter 16, and verse 1, she was there again when the women came back with the spices to anoint the body. She was there. She endured to the very end. She endured all the bitterness on account of her Lord. How much, friend sisters, are we prepared to endure? How far are we prepared to follow and to serve? Will we be like Mary, the mother of James the Less, where Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and will we still be there right at the very end? It was the master that said this. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. He that endureth unto the end shall be saved. And that, I suggest, friends and sisters, is the example and the lesson that we can take from this little known woman in Scripture, this mother of one of the twelve, this wife of Clopas or Alpheus. She endured unto the end. And that's an example 
and an excitation for spring systems. So what have the, the pathway of Salome? We've seen Mary, the first of the Marys. Let's now talk about Salome. She was part of that group of faithful ministering, ministering sisters. And again, we don't know very much from the record about her, but she is there in that reference that we've just looked at in, in Mark. We looked at the end of chapter 15, Mark chapter 16. And when verse one, the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. So the two Marys that we were in, in the end of, of chapter 15 were joined by Salome now to come to anoint the body. So she was one of those who remained faithful. She was remaining faithful to what they probably saw at this point as a lost cause. This was just out of love for their Lord that they were doing these things. The only other record that I can find of this woman, and, and if you've found others, brethren and sisters, please correct me, is in Matthew chapter 20. So can we go to Matthew chapter 20, please, and look at uh, an incident that involves the, the woman, I believe, is Salome. Matthew 20, and in verse 20, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshipping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on thy left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink the cup? that I shall drink of, and to be baptised with the baptism that I am baptised with? They say unto him, We are able. He saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptised with the baptism that I am baptised with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. And when we read that, that 24th verse, it gives us that impression and um, understanding that this was an insensitive and selfish request. And I'm sure that there is an element of that in this thing that is being done which aroused that indignation. But there are points of exhortation for us in this one, sisters. You see, they are on their way to Jerusalem. The end of those events is that bitter truth. What's going through the, the mind of, of those who are there? Let's go back and um, look at that 21st verse. She, Salome, said to Jesus, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on my right hand and the other on their left, in thy kingdom. 
she was absolutely certain that the kingdom was going to be established. It's taken for granted. She just wants to know that when that kingdom comes, a certain thing will happen. Is that our level of certainty, Ben sisters? Are we expecting the kingdom to come within the next week? You see, there was a week left of the life of Jesus, wasn't there? Are we expecting the kingdom to come in the next week? She was. She was expecting the kingdom. She knew it was going to come. And there's a, a great degree of certainty that is a, a great example for us, brothers and sisters. Let us focus, have that at the front of our focus, our minds, that it may direct our actions. And you see, what she wanted in principle was right. It was a good thing. You see, we have been promised that we will live and reign with Christ. And from the parables that, that Jesus had spoken, which many of us, which she almost certainly heard because she was part of that ministering group on his ministry. He'd said that there was a reward, that they would be over cities. They would be sitting on thrones, judging the 12 tribes. She knew these things and she wanted those things. So we have that promise that we shall live and reign with Christ. Is that what we really want, brothers and sisters? That's what she really wanted. You see, the law never said, thou shalt not covet. What it said was, thou shalt not covet things of this world, which belong to someone else. You shall not covet that thy neighbor's ox or ass or manservant or maidservant. That was what they weren't to covet. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 31, Paul says, covet earnestly the best gifts. If we're coveting the right things, then sisters, that's not a sin. That's not against the law. Coveting the best gifts, desiring the things of the truth, is right the best gifts they want to live and reign with christ do we then sisters does that show in our actions does that show in the way that we live our lives from day to day that we are going to be living and reigning with him in god's mercy you see i've sometimes heard brethren say in prayers that we ask for some humble place in god's kingdom there is no humble place for us in God's kingdom, brothers and sisters. The word teaches us it's a position of honour. It's a position of authority. That's what we are promised. We are to live and reign. That's a position of authority, a position of honour. That's what our hope is, brothers and sisters. And those are the things that we should be seeking for. We should be seeking to learn now how we can live and reign with him. How our character should be that we might be fitted for those places of honour in the kingdom of God. 
There are no humble places for us, only honourable ones and sisters. Do we covet those things earnestly enough to influence us to be prepared to be baptised with the baptism that he was baptised with? Are we prepared to give our lives for the brethren in love, as John mentions in his later writings? And so there's perhaps our agitation from Salome. Can we turn now to the path of um, Mary Magdalene? So let's go back to Luke chapter 8, please. Luke chapter 8, we read these, these verses um, a few minutes ago, but let's just reread them. It came to pass afterward that Jesus went through every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God and the twelve were with him. And certain women, which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna, the wife of Chooser, Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance. The first one mentioned here is Mary called Magdalene. The, the, the name Magdalene, I, I, I think, suggests that she came from Migdal, which is in Galilee. And so she was one of those. But her name comes first. And it, it appears that she was one of the most influential in this group of ministering women from Galilee. They were women of substance, as we said, who supported the ministry of the master but were prepared to minister. And it was because they had benefited. Out of her went seven devils. She had been afflicted with a severe mental illness, is what we would understand from that, isn't it? But this had been changed by Jesus. This, this mental affliction had been removed and it's as if her gratitude is that so much has begun to her that she can only but minister let's think of a spiritual counterpart to this and we just need to look at a couple of references can you come to colossians with me chapter one please colossians one and verse 21. The apostle says to the believers in Colossae, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. We were enemies in our mind by wicked works, he says. It's as if we were afflicted by seven devils, seven demons, the thinking of the flesh, perfectly typified by seven demons. And that was what alienated us from the things of the truth, from our master and his father. 
but that alienation was overcome through his death, suffered on that bitter tree, that we might become as that bride, unblameable and unreprovable, that bride of Ephesians chapter 5. So there is the spiritual counterpart, I suggest to you, of the seven devils, the seven demons that have been taken out of Mary Magdalene. That spirit of flesh, that attitude, that, that thinking of the flesh, or as it's termed in Romans correctly, the minding of the flesh. It's to Romans that we're now going to go, to Romans chapter 12, just to look at the um, consequence of that change that has taken place in us, those seven spiritual demons having been cast out through the, the death of our master. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And that's what Mary and the other women had done. They had presented their bodies a living sacrifice and had undertaken their reasonable service. They had ministered of their substance. But continuing to verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Yes, that those seven demons have to go out and it's got to be renewed. Not swept and garnered. Our mind has to be renewed by the thinking of the spirit. And those two things war against each other, don't they? By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And I'm suggesting that's the transformation spiritually as much as physically that Mary Magdalene went through. She went from that thinking of the flesh to the thinking of the spirit. And the consequence was her reasonable service in um, ministering to her master. There's no evidence to link Mary Magdalene to the event in Luke 7 where a sinner washed Jesus' feet and anointed them in the house of Simon the Pharisee. And we can't with any certainty place Mary in the record again until the crucifixion. We've already seen her there afar off. We've seen her there at the foot of that bitter tree. We've seen her beholding the sepulchre and we've seen her going to um, anoint the body, haven't we? In the company of those other women that we've been considering. But with Mary Magdalene, it's in the events surrounding the resurrection of Jesus that we see her apparently singled out as, especially in John's gospel, as a type of the bride. Can we come back to the gospel of John, please? And now we're going to go to John chapter 20. And a, a wonderful record concerning this woman. John chapter 20 and verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Now, we know that there were other women present on this occasion. We've read about it. But John, by the Spirit, singles out Mary Magdalene as if she was there on her own. 
he runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, the one who's writing this record, and said unto them, They've taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we, so there were other people there, we know not where they have laid him. She had lost her Lord. Just his body, she thought at this point, but she had lost. Come down to verse 10. It says, Then the disciples went away again unto their own home, but Mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping. But they'd gone home. It was all over. They'd gone, the intention of the Greek here, I think, into their own home was to be by themselves. They'd gone to be alone with their thoughts at this desperate, awful time. But loved of God in sorrow mourning, Mary still stood without at the sepulchre weeping. She was still there. And her sorrow was to be turned to joy, as that hymn that we started with indicated. John chapter 20, and we'll read on from verse 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping, and as she wept, she stooped down and looked again into the sepulchre, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet of where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto him, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. She's so distraught that she can't find her Lord. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus said unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou art born him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, my master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and to your father, and to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord, and that he had spoken these things unto her. That's quite a wonderful record, isn't it, then, sisters? It's quite moving. But it has its counterpart spiritually in the Song of Solomon. Can we just go back to the Song of Solomon? We're going to come back to, to John. Again, so don't take my credit if you don't want me. Song of Solomon. Um, there's a couple of passages in the song, but we're going to look at, um, at chapter 3. Song of Solomon, chapter 3. <clears throat> verse 1. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 1. By night, on my bed... I sought him whom my soul left. I sought him, but I found him not. He's Mary. I don't know where they're laying him. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets, and in the broadways will I seek him whom my soul loveth. I sought him, but I found him not. She's looking for him. She can't find him. The watchman, uh, this is by degree of the watchers and the holy ones, the watchman, the angels in the tomb that go about the city found me. Tomb, I said, 
Show ye him whom my soul loveth. It was but a little while that I passed from her. I found him whom my soul loveth. Here she sees the one who she thinks is the gardener. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. Here's the, the spiritual commentary on these events in John chapter 20. Are we seeking as part of that heavenly bride, the bridegroom? And when we find him, will we hold him so that he'll never go away again? I'm sure that was Mary's intention. And I'm thinking that these verses were in her mind. Because she wanted to hold him so that she was never going to let him go again. That's why Jesus said, don't touch me. You see, in the Greek, that's don't cling onto me. Don't hold on to me. You can't have me here forever now because I've got to go away again. I'm sure that she touched him. I'm sure that she threw her arms around him. She held him and as if she wouldn't let him go. And Jesus said, you've got to let me go, Mary, because I've got to ascend to my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. But she found him. And her grief was turned to joy. And that's our hope, brothers and sisters. Our time is rapidly going, so I apologise for um, going on so long. And also for the fact that our fourth one is going to be rather briefer than I'd hoped it would be. The path of Jesus' mother. It's a study in itself. And so we'll be brief, um, briefer than I was hoping to be. Um, she's obviously a figure of apostate worship, but for us, she's merely a human being who suffered much, who failed, but who ultimately endured. Can we go back to Luke, please, and pick up a, 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 a record here? The beginning of Luke, or the early parts of Luke. We're starting Luke chapter 2. <clears throat> Hers was a difficult and painful path. And she knew that. Luke chapter 2 and verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, and a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also, that the thoughts, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Yes, a sword was to pierce her heart. Let's come back to the first chapter and just read a few verses. Verse 26 to start, Luke 1, 26. And in the sixth month, that's of the pregnancy of Elizabeth, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favoured, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. She cast it in her mind. This is the thing that Mary does. We'll come back to that in a minute. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favour with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and shalt bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, or Yahshua, he shall be great, and shall be called the son of the highest. 
and the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. What absolutely momentous events. What a thing to happen. Imagine any of us being in a situation like that. It will be at once terrifying and awe-inspiring, wouldn't it? What a responsibility that was being placed upon this young woman. A responsibility like none other could ever be. And the response, having cast in her mind the things that were said, was just one practical question. How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the actual angel would answer with the greater things. The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. What tremendous things for her to, to take in and to understand. Verse 38 is her considered reaction. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. There's an immediate submission to the will of God amongst the momentous things that have been spoken. Others might have broken down. Others might have swelled in pride. But she humbly accepts the commission, the honour, the consequences of these things. Yahweh knew who he was choosing for this greatest of tasks, didn't he? It says in, um, later down this, this chapter, it says, she says, he hath, this is verse 48, he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. Now, that, that can mean that she wasn't of the, the noble and wealthy of the land, but it also can mean that she was spiritually poor. She was humble. And that's what we do see in these events, don't we? Her spiritual unworthiness. But what toil was, what turmoil was there in her heart as these things were said? Come across to the second chapter again and verse 19. You see, she'd cast these things in her heart as, as they were said to her. And in verse 19, it says of chapter 2, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. That was the sort of person that Mary was. She was a thinker. She turned things over in her mind. She thought about how these things are going to work out, what she could do, how she could make them work. And that's a great lesson for us, brothers and sisters. In the, the, the rushing turmoil of the melee of our lives, you have to give time to, to meditate upon the word of God, to turn it over in our minds that it might really impact on our lives. Um, my time is up, but I want to tell you a little bit more about Mary, if I, if I may. So apologies, Brother Will, um, to, uh, to over my time just a little bit. She wasn't perfect, was she? And how many parents can recognise the situation that we find at the end of, of chapter 2 of Luke? Um, verse 46. After three days, we know the history. After three days, it came to pass 
but they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And when all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answer. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And we can recognise that the situation, they'd lost their son, they'd been searching for him, and worried that harm and, and damage had done to him, had come to him, didn't know where he was, and they found him just sitting there talking to the to the, the doctors of the law. But we stop reading in the middle of verse 48. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Now, quite often, if you're a parent and you've lost a child and that's very stressful and you find it, your self-blame comes out with you being angry with the child. Where do you think you've been? And that's, as I understand, that the import of what's being said here. Why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. There's a mistake there, then, sisters, which Jesus now proceeds to gently correct. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? She said, Thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. He knew that Joseph wasn't his father. And so in her, her um, anxiety, she failed, hadn't she? Thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. He said, no, no, I'm about my father's business. But who had taught him that he was to be about his father's business and his sisters? I suspect it was his mother. We next come across them at a, at a point of ecclesial harmony at the marriage in Cana of Galilee, which we don't have time to, to look at, but there is, there is harmony with the disciples and his mother and Jesus on that occasion, and we don't have time to go through it. We want to come again, though, to some discord. Mark and chapter 3, please. We just need to look at this because, again, there's a... There's a, a a lesson for us in these things. Mark chapter 3, and um, we're going to read, first of all, um, verse 22. The scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of the demons cast thee out demons. So the ministry of Jesus is becoming controversial. And, the con and the back, that's the background to verse 21. And when his friends, and if you have a margin like I've got, his kinsmen, his family heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he's beside himself. So here's the, here's the situation. His ministry is becoming controversial. His family want to stop him from doing what he's doing because he, he's going to get himself into trouble. They're going to lay hold on him. That's quite a, quite a rough word. They said he's beside himself. He's, he's off his rocker is, is a, a, a suitable um, English alternative to he's beside himself in modern language. And so with that as the context, now let's go down to verse 31. There came then his brethren and his mother standing without and sent unto him, calling him. Now we know why they're calling him, because they want to lay hold on him to stop him doing from what he's doing in verse 21, because they think he's beside himself. And that's why Jesus doesn't respond. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren, without seek for thee. He answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked about, looked round about on them which sat about him, 
and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my mother and sister. Sorry, sister and mother. So the implication is that his natural family at this time weren't in the will of God. They were opposing God's will. And so he's saying, look, these people who are, are hearing the word and it's influencing their lives, they are the ones who are doing the will of God and they are my spiritual family. So there was a, a rebuke at this time. And the sword is starting to pierce. How much she have felt? But Roy, if we can just wrap it up in a couple of minutes, please. Thank we won't turn to it, but in John chapter 19, verses 25 and 26, someone says to him, Blessed are the paps which thou hast sucked from the womb which, womb which bear thou. And he said, Yea, rather, blessed are they which do the will of my Father in heaven. So again, there was some discord between the family and the master. But let's just conclude when the discord is all over. We've seen Mary then suffering the piercing. We've seen her at the foot of that bitter tree. Now let's go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 13. This is after the ascension. And when they were come in, they went into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. All these continued with one, in one, with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, that's Salome, that's Mary, the mother of James, that's Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So at the end, harmony is restored. They are faithful and joined together in that glorious embryonic ecclesia of the first century. Harmony. And so these women are presented as preparing themselves for the one who had given his life for them and for that who they typed, the bride. They learned all the might that lies in a full self-sacrifice. Thank you.